When we as human beings take a look at other human beings, we don't simply draw a mental box around them and say, ah, here's a human. We understand intuitively and implicitly all sorts of facets of that person and their behavior and their maybe even their emotions simply by looking at them. We do this based in some part by nature, by our biological programming and an understanding of human faces and bodies. Uh, but we also do this by nurture, by observing people in a thousand similar circumstances and having a pretty good sense of what a person in that posture, with that facial expression moving in that direction, may be likely to do next. Machines are not as good as human beings at this particular task as of now, uh, but that progress is being made and being made rather quickly by a number of innovative companies in this particular space. There's a lot of video analysis work, and there's a lot of very sharp computer vision work being done on understanding and predicting and interpreting human behavior, human posture, and the human body. We speak this week with Paul Krasuski, CEO and founder of a company called Wrench, W-R-N-C-H, based in Montreal. Uh, we were introduced to them through Tandem Launch. Tandem Launch is an interesting accelerator venture company in Montreal that I got to meet during my 10-day stint up in that city. Uh, probably going to do a number of sort of in-depth city studies, and Montreal was one of the first. Very, very interesting to get to speak to all the executives and researchers there. Uh, and Paul is someone that I was connected to through Tandem Launch. He speaks with us this week about the myriad applications of more in-depth computer vision for understanding humans. How will this affect the future of security cameras? How will this affect the future of the retail environment? How will this affect the future of autonomous cars or heavy equipment that has to interact and be around human beings? When we can not only understand where a human is, oh, don't run over this person, they're over here, uh, but we can understand what they might do next. Lots of interesting applications and lots to think about for any business that has a physical location, security cameras, or deals in heavy industry or equipment in any way, shape, or form. Hopefully you all find this useful. This is Paul with Wrench here on AI and Industry. So Paul, first things first, we're going to be talking about the uh, reading of body language and understanding of sort of human intention or human movement uh, and kind of expressions through the body with artificial intelligence, machine vision. Um, I know you've had to probably articulate this to folks who, unlike yourself, don't have a PhD in computer science. Give us a sense, Paul, how does a machine comprehend, for lack of better terms, uh, the postures, the intention, the positions of human beings like a human would? Excellent question. That it, it's strangely, it's very much like humans. I mean, I've raised three kids and I've uh, watched them. And so, you know, we learn skills as humans. Uh, we first learn how to, you know, even go back to like when you're a baby and you can start to track your mother's eyes and the hands. So you, you build really layers of things. So the first thing, if you want to, for a computer to understand what a human is doing, it has to see the humans. And so, you know, there's been a lot of work on, on sort of segmentation of humans in the sense of a bounding box. You show a photo to a computer and it makes a bounding box around a human. We're taking it the next level where we're breaking it down to 23 key points. A lot. Uh, and, and this is a lot of, you know, like the eyes, the ears, the mouth, the shoulder, all this. So we, we're training computers to recognize body parts and then glue them together intelligently. It's a, it's a lot like motion capture. If your if your um, listeners are familiar with motion capture, uh, you know people are wearing these these suits. That's yes, an aid. Yes. It's an aid for the computer to track. We get rid of all that stuff, so we just teach the computer to just to look at you and and know exactly where your left shoulder is, your right shoulder is, and that's sort of the base. Once we understand your body, 
then we can understand what you're doing with your body. So for example, if your hand is moving up, we, in order, how do we know you're waving at the computer? We need to know what your hand, where your hand is, and we have to know how fast your hand is moving, things like that. Yeah. So it's real, layers of understanding. And tell me if I'm, if I'm right or wrong here, Paul, uh, in, in kind of getting a basic understanding on this. Um, it would seem to me as though, you know, of course, you'd need to identify the body parts. So yes, it would seem like yeah. that's your base layer. And to be able to do that without a bunch of big white circles on people's kneecaps and elbows, uh, obviously, that's going to be something you'll, you'll have to get rid of. My presumption is at that level of training the system, there is a good deal of sort of, you know, supervised learning going into kind of, hey, here's a bunch of images, and this is a right arm, and this is a left arm, and this is a leg, and, and you got to feed in a lot of that until you can pump in a random body in a random position with random clothes and have it basically draw a skeleton. My presumption is there's a good deal of, of kind of supervised learning off the bat for the, the basic body part stuff. Yes, and so if, but what's really freaky about this is that so, you know, supervised learning, you have to have annotated data. So you have to have all these pictures and then someone has to mark them up. That costs a lot of money and humans make mistakes. So what we other people are doing this in different fields. But what really is unique of what we're doing, a whole bunch of our people are about video game technologists. Oh, cool. So we've actually built a video game where we generate random humans. So synthetic humans, we generate some, you know, we've got different humans. And we generate them in with different skin colors, different clothes different hairstyles and then we give them different actions to do. And literally we take, you know, tens of thousands of synthetic photos of them with all this training data attached. And we're, so we're feeding synthetic computer game imagery to the computer. Yeah. That, that's, that's pretty darn cool. Yeah. I, you know, it reminds me of, I heard the a fellow who works uh, now at, at unity, which if you're in the computer world, I mean the, yeah. the 3d modeling world unity is kind of one of the, the big boys there, um, but who, who was talking about how in order to teach a robotic snake how to climb over an obstacle, they basically ran a sort of model of physics with the model of the robotic snake's body uh, with a whole bunch of different trials and random movements through sort of a, a th synthetic world. And then when they found a way that worked, they just would pipe that into the, the real one and then the real one could climb over the objects. And I think there's a, there's a pretty clear advantage to doing things in digital spaces, like you said, and it's really interesting that you folks are doing that now, because obviously in video game world, you already know where the right arm is and the left arm is because it's programmed right in there. Yeah, so perfect annotation. Yeah, yeah there's perfect. no perfect annotation, no matter what angle, what slice, what anything. It, it's all it's all there. The skeletons are are literally there, and they're detectable digitally. And so also, what we can cool. do is we can do a lot of things we can't do to humans. So, so getting back to your, uh, so we train the system to recognize humans. But then moving on to the next layer, which we call activity recognition, knowing that someone's fall, falling or choking or what have you, you don't want people to choke. You, you can't hire actors. But what we can do is create, again, video game scenarios where let's just say someone gets hit by a car. There's an example, right? You yeah. No, no, no. You, you cannot. You can hire a stuntman, I guess. But, but we can take digital extras and hit them by cars and we can train the machine to understand that. To say, oh, this person was hit by a car. So yeah, oh man, it, incredible. It, it it brings us to uh, to some pretty wild conversations that we won't touch on today. But for those tuned in, I I uh, hypothesize that the digital world where it's will at some point become uh, astronomically more compelling than the physical world within some of our lifetimes. Of those who are listening to this to this program, uh, just interesting reminder of how many neat things can be done 
uh, in that kind of space. So you, you, you do a good deal of that, and that's very interesting that, again, this can be done within a video game environment. And then you probably do something similar with movement. So once you've got all the body parts, you know how to, to tag those and understand those and sort of uh, you know reference those and, and ensure that you have them right, uh, then maybe you know you have a bunch of video game characters, like you said, you know, walking, running, whatever, you can define the Falling down the stairs, there's an extra Yeah, oh man, oh geez, yeah you, you, the, yeah. you could do that with a stunt person, but like you said, you really can't do that a million times, but in, in a synthetic universe, you could do it a billion times. Um, so okay, so cool, so we, we model a bunch of different actions, and then we can sort of get a system eventually to, to look at a YouTube video maybe, or, or look through a camera lens of a GoPro, and say, oh, this is a person skateboarding who just fell down the stairs, right? And we, we didn't exactly. need to actually throw... 20,000 real humans down the stairs to pick that up. Exactly. That's great to know, Paul. You're, you're, really, uh, you're really helping people out by not throwing them down the stairs. Yeah. That's great. Um, especially, so, especially when we want to be able to understand old people falling down stairs. Yes. No, that's uh, even worse. And, and that, my grandmother, you know. No, um, yeah, yeah, my grandma would definitely not appreciate that. So with that being said, now we talk about kind of the applications of this. I mean, you're talking about old folks and, and falling. Um, clearly, you know, this world of, you know, when we were talking off mic, you had talked about sort of this world of human monitoring in a recent interview with actually another Montrealer, we had kind of brought up the dynamic of the fact that there will be more cameras installed for computer vision than human vision. You know, back in the day, it, when, when a camera was installed, it was so that a human being could look at that, understand it, make decisions, call somebody, do whatever. There's a good chance that if it's not already the case now, there will be way more applications for computers to deal with that visual data, not people. One such example that you had brought up before was this extension of Alexa. Alexa right now has great ears. It does not have great eyes. And it's very clear that Alexa is not the only device of its type, and it certainly will not be the only device of its type. How does sort of um, an understanding of human movement and of, of possibly intention or gait or whatnot play a role in a home environment? How does the detection of what a human is doing sort of play a role there? So, so many ways. I mean, so many ways. So let's go start with, the, I guess, the most applicable, obvious, is, is really uh, safety. Safety for people choking, people falling. You know, that's, I think that's going to be the driving a lot of the use cases. And it's rather dramatic and it's, 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 it's straightforward to understand. But as, 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 as these devices are, are with us longer, as we sort of co-evolve with these devices, you know, there's so much more subtle body language of like, uh, of, uh, let's, let's take in, in the sense of health, you're going to be walking by this thing all the time, right? It's going to tell you, okay, this is sort of a joke, but people may want this. You know, like when you were a kid, your mother said, stand up straight. Yeah. Like, they're going to be like, stop shrugging. But these will be tied into a lot of things to read your body language. Of you know you you know you're sort of slumped over maybe you're depressed maybe you're getting sick. There's so many visual cues that when you when you think of it it starts to open up because fundamentally this device is plugged into the cloud so it can be plugged into many many things for health I think yeah uh, you know and then and then like you know 3D measurements because we, we have not only we track the body but we have the full shape right so let's say you go to the gym. You can stand on a, on a scale, but you stick your hands out. This can actually tell you, you know, did your biceps get bigger or something like that? Because yeah, yeah, them. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Huh, man. So yeah, that, that's like it, probably a gym and not a home scenario, but possibly something could be installed in the home. You'd mentioned a, a basic use case here would be a a safety one. In other words, if if somebody falls or 
you know, you might not know if you hear the dining room table. I mean, people are people are living longer and they want to live. They want to have autonomous living. Right. Yes. Which is I want that. And so like but, you know, you're you know, you're like your your elderly mother's at home. I mean, she chokes on it on a chicken bone. Who's there? Yeah. 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 So. um, So there's there's some interesting use cases as well as kind of, again, Alexa extensions. And this might also be something whereby. You know, a device of that kind, a human device of this kind, and there's plenty of security systems that do this. When they detect motion in different rooms, um, they might be able to send a notification to someone's phone. And maybe it goes farther than that. Maybe it goes to the point where if there's, you know, physical movement of a certain kind, you know, if, if there's someone who is, you know, who's who's kind of walking or acting like they might be a little bit sick or under the weather, you might want to notice where if your kid's homesick from school... And, you know, a certain number of things happen, you're, you're going to want to know. You don't want to wait for them to call you and say, hey, dad, I've got to go to the hospital. You may just straight up need to know if these kind of behaviors start kind of coming about. And that could be maybe another safety circumstance as well. I'm just trying to riff out loud and kind of flesh out what, what the possibility space is. But people, and then the other thing, I mean, we were, you know, I just was on a call with a, a very large surveillance, home surveillance company. And they're like, nobody wants to process this data. Nobody wants to look at all the video. No. Nobody wants to. And also people are getting, they're sick of false alerts, you know? So this is, this is giving like an order of magnitude, more information and it's actionable information. It's not like something happened. Like, you know, I, I don't want that. I want to know that yep. you, know, you, you fell over and is not getting up. Exactly. That, again, these systems, they'll all be tied together, but you know, you fall, you're on the ground. Yeah. You know, maybe you're resting, maybe you're doing yoga, whatever, but then the system is going to say, Hey, yeah. Are you okay? Are you feeling good? And if you say, "Hey, I'm just resting on the floor," that's going to leave you alone. But if you if you don't answer, then yeah, maybe yeah. I think at a certain point it'll call nine one one. No, definitely. I mean, well, you know, there's already for very you know reasonably unsophisticated. I'm not going to insult the business model, uh, and and I, I can respect the success of a company like you know, let's say Life Alert or its various yeah. competitors. But it's very clear there's already money for that kind of stuff, right? I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's not a questionable business case. There's a uh, sort of a very robust and blatantly obvious uh, business case, and clearly it could use some more you know resolution. You know, like you said. You know, false alerts are annoying. I don't really care if someone's walking their dog on the sidewalk, but if someone is skulking by the sidewalk and looking in my house, now we have a different scenario. Um, So what we want to do is let computers use those kinds of, you know, adjectives, right? Or adverbs. We want to be able to to pass you information, just like you said, someone's skulking, someone's loitering. Yes, 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 yes. Yep. That's and so, so that's, so we've got those home examples. Um, there's also a lot, I mean, clearly when people think about machine vision now, uh, and, and I don't think it'll be this way for forever. I, I think actually there'll be a lot more excitement in other domains at, at some point, but for right now, a lot of the time people think com- computer vision and the future and they think vehicles and, and they think that for good reason, I think. Um, clearly, you know, in the vehicle world, there's applications of understanding gait, intention, movement in humans, rather than just identifying, you know, a block of space in which a human exists. Talk a little bit about where in the automotive world, and and maybe the people who are tuned in, this could apply to essentially any heavy machinery, any moving robotics. Um, But but where, where in the automotive world, just for a clear example, you know, we might see applications of this kind. Any kind of transportation system. So like you said, cameras are everywhere. So there's eyes looking out of the vehicle and there's eyes looking into the vehicle. So eyes looking out are, like you said, want to move past 
existence of pedestrians and want to move to intentionality. You know, knowing is the person going to dart out in front of me? That's way more actual information than there's a person in front of me, maybe moving at this velocity. And I think this is going to also help. I think one of the things that has not been solved in autonomous vehicles is, you know, when I drive a car, I'm looking at pedestrians and I will communicate with them and the pedestrian communicates with me. You know, there's a lot of nonverbal communication. I think we're going to, in order for autonomous vehicles to work, that's going to have to happen in the sense of, you know, the car has to read my body language and say, whoa, I'm afraid or, or I'm, I, I'm panicked or, you know, let me, you know, like sometimes people wave and then you cross and then somehow the car has to communicate that. Yeah, back. So yeah, yeah, that yeah. Car pedestrian dialogue, nonverbal dialogue has to happen. That's really, really important uh, if we're going to deploy these in, in existing worlds. So that's the first. And then looking inwards, really, these are becoming in- intelligent entities that are designed to take care of people, right? To take people from A to Z and take care of them safely from A to Z. So moving beyond just traditional gaze and understanding who's in the car, uh, what are they doing? You know, if there was a minor accident, you know, are they okay? Are they slumped over? This kind of all, again, all this kind of information that we want in the home of, of real, you know, detailed information we're going to want inside the vehicle because in a certain sense, these vehicles will become these sort of moving homes. Yeah, and totally. And I'm very excited for, for that to, uh, to happen. I, I'm trying as, as hard as I can to get a sense of that experience by just Ubering everywhere, but it's, it's definitely not exactly the same. Um, this, this same kind of idea could probably apply, I mean, again, to, to transportation systems, but to maybe any kind of heavy equipment. If you run a warehouse, you know, it, it's probably good to know, like, you know, if somebody's really tired on the forklift, you know, somebody should know about that so that no one gets freaking killed. Um, well, in, in manufacturing in general, like there's a working with a biotech company and, and they want to they want to know that. But they also want to know guidelines of when people are lifting things in the incorrect way. Yeah. You know, so like, you know, you know, you, you shouldn't use this or are people authorized to do this. So it's we're going to have all this kind of stuff. So I think safety concerns are going to drive this technology because, again, that's what's more important than to humans than safety. Yep. It's, it's a, it's a really good, I think, initial appeal to sort of roll things forward, safety and security. Uh, Again, like if you, if you, if you have an office building and you know, you have a surveillance system, you know, maybe you can tell if somebody enters a room or not, but can you tell if two people apparently kind of sneak, you know, again, can we, can we put an, can we put an adjective on this stuff? Because there might be a very big difference between this door open and closed and how the heck did this person look you know, how shifty eyed and shoulder shrugged was this person as they went into this back, this back office? And, you know, should this be something we should maybe overtly call out here for, for the security of the business? Um, and also, you, you, I think that there's a cost savings, but there's also a privacy savings. By processing this stuff on the fly, right, we don't need to save the video anymore. Like until, you know, you almost only start the video when it becomes interesting. Yes, yes, yes. So, that has a savings for companies because they don't have to store all this data, but also has privacy for us. If we're going about our business and not doing anything, why does this need to be recorded all the time? Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And and so in, in some respects, I mean, again, you're going to have people on both sides of the uh, of the fence on this, and you'll you'll have to to deal with that overtly, being a guy running a company in this space. But there's going to be people who who will say, you know, this is maybe more invasive. Though there might be arguments that it'll be less. You'll you'll probably have a bias in that dialogue. You know, admittedly, uh, but but at the same time, you know, 
there, there is a valid point on, on both sides, I think. And, and it's possible that, hey, you know, maybe, maybe some people are frankly less comfortable knowing that there's 35, you know, tapes, you know, digitally or otherwise sitting around with them sitting at their desk versus that there's nothing and, and that's it, you know? Um, so, so there, there's definitely kind of a two, two-sided street there too. Paul, just to, to wrap up, I know that there's all kinds of other applications, you know, people can imagine in retail, you know, preventing theft or understanding people's behavior in different aisles, you know, do people, uh, who pick up this yogurt, you know, do they, do they always put it in their cart or do they pick it up and put it down? And maybe there's something wrong with the labeling and the brand would want to know about that. Um, there's all kinds of really cool examples there that you had talked about offline, which we can't get into to all of, but it's, it's really neat to understand the future of this tech as our closing note, Paul, you know, you've probably had some kind of core business insight in order to, to kind of put, put yourself on the line for lack of better terms and start a business in this domain. What, what does the future look like when sort of the intention and a robust understanding of human behavior can be gleaned from machines? How does this affect sort of industry at large? I think it, I think it's going to be so radical. I think it's the, it's the fundamental promise of IoT, you know, Internet of Things. There was a lot of hype about that. People are like, well, I can control a light bulb, you know, through the Internet. And that's like, who cares about that? Totally all, who cares, like, yeah. This is, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to the people who make light bulbs. Yeah, but, yeah, no offense. But I, I also but don't consider that revolutionary. Yeah. Know, like wiring, if like, this is, if the Internet has glued us together as a society, this is going to be the next order of magnitude of where the machines are, are really coexisting with us and they understand us at our level. So much of what's happened is we've adapted to machines and now machines, computers are going to adapt to us. They're going to communicate on our terms. And um, it, it just blows my mind. I, I, I say it as a joke, actually, uh, but I mean it. You know, we co-evolved with dogs and dogs have the unique ability to read our body language and dogs really are our best natural friends and i believe this technology will make computers our you know our companions i i uh i think just that idea as kind of a frame of thought i think could probably conjure some interesting business use cases from the audience what we like to do here and i think we've really helped with a lot paul is opening up minds to what are trends that are ahead and how does that boots on the ground affect the way we do business, affect our ability to disrupt or be disrupted? And, and hopefully this has garnered some good brainstorms uh, for the people who are tuned in. We did an interview, I want to say it was like three or four years ago, and, and you're just reminding me of this, where I forget the guests, but they had, they had mentioned that you know, however many hundreds of years ago, we sort of went, we went indoors. We went from this jungle yeah. world where everything is alive around us into this sort of relatively safe space where we're closed off and we step into the jungle when we want. Now the jungle is is sort of popping out of every corner and every hole in all of these edifices that we've built. And I feel like we are entering the jungle again. There will be interactions around us at all times in a robust way that really does change the way that we live. Tough to see how that will pan out, but it, it sounds like that's kind of what you're drawing on, Paul, in some way. Yeah, I mean... I think that's a great way to look at it in the sense of you think of like, you know, especially, you know, people have this fantastical notion like hundreds of years ago that the world was alive and the spirit really will be building that, right? I mean, yes. Your yes. desk, your fridge, the house, the house is like this, you know, companion, butler companion that knows like, you know, you look sick. You should, you know, you're not feeling well today, sir. I won't be watching yeah. Abby. But, but 
this is uh, this is amazing. The world will be much more alive in ways than in ways we can imagine today. I, I completely agree, and I think this opens up big cans of worms in the imagination. Hopefully, for the people tuned in who you know have an office building, have equipment, you know, are in some way leveraging cameras through their products or in their their buildings, uh, could think about sort of what might that look like down the line, and and what might be considerations for the future. So, Paul, this has been very eye opening. I sincerely appreciate you sharing your insights here with us on AI and industry. Thanks so much. You're welcome. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week. 